In our text today, we come to this part in Isaiah. It's at the very end of Isaiah. And he's holding on to this good news. He's got a secret that he just wants to blast out. He wants them to know that their exile is over, that it's okay to return home, that, that God's favor is there. If you remember, the people of Israel weren't having that great of a time. Uh, they were in exile. They were far from their homeland. They were living under the thumb of the Assyrian Empire. And Isaiah wants to give them this good news. And he wants to give them this message that, that it ends up being a blueprint for us Christ followers. There's something here that Isaiah gives to the nation of Israel that each one of us who, call, who follows Christ can say, I have that same part in my life. That's the same call in me. Uh, these are characteristics that if we uh, pay attention to them are markers on our lives as Christ followers. Uh, and here are the characteristics that Isaiah sent, that's, uh, is said here. Uh, you're marked, you're sent, and you're transformed. Marked, sent, and transformed. The very first verse, Isaiah says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Those are some very interesting words that he uses when you get into the language. But they have even bigger ramifications. First of all, he's saying the arrival of the spirit of the sovereign Lord. And any time we start talking about the spirit and Holy Spirit, Christians tend to get a little uptight. Is that a, is that a fair thing? Because we think it's weird. But it's not supposed to be weird. It doesn't have to be weird. We just don't understand it fully. And so when Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me, he's talking about something that has happened to every single Christ follower. Every single one of us, the spirit has come and has anointed you. He says it's anoint, God anointed him and marked him for something. Uh, the word for anoint means to mark, to smear on you. And so this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying the Hebrew word for spirit that marked him is the word ruach. You want, want to say it? I know you do. Ruach. When you say, we're going to do it one more time, and here's how you do it. When you say the last part, clear your throat. Okay? Ruach. Come on, one more time. This side is Jeff Peterson. I want you to say it. <laughs> ruach. Yes, ruach. It, uh, it's the old Tes- It's in the Old Testament. It's the word for spirit. When you first see this word, it's the spirit of God that is hovering over the waters in Genesis one. The ruach of the spirit, the breath of God. It, it's it's all through the Old Testament. The actions of the spirit. We don't really pay attention to it until the New Testament. But when you flip through the pages, this spirit that was on Isaiah was present in the very beginning of creation. There's another word called nefesh. If you want to say that, go ahead. Nefesh, thank you. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a real word that's tied to a rock. But when, it, when, and when nefesh shows up in Genesis 2, or that end part of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, when God breathes on Adam or breathes into Adam and Eve the breath of life, it's his very presence, it's his very essence. This is what Isaiah says was upon him. This marked him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's given me a message to proclaim. And when we think of the spirit, it was very present in the Old Testament. It's, it, it's present in Exodus 31. God sent his spirit on a man named Bezalel, uh, giving him the gift of creativity and artistic knowledge to be able to craft and shape mes- metals. If you look at Exodus 31, Bezalel was one of the ones who started making the temple. 
and the Spirit came upon him and enabled and empowered him and gifted him especially to do what he was supposed to do. In Judges, the Spirit of God comes on Gideon. Gideon was a a fearful, weak man, but through the Spirit became an amazing, brave warrior. Later in the same book in Judges, the Spirit uh, falls upon Samson, who was taken prisoner. Samson, we know the story with the long hair, and he's super strong. It's a rad story. You should read it. Uh, He was taken prisoner, and he was given this incredible power and strength. And through Samson, because of the Spirit, he was able to turn his nation back to God. It's a very colorful story. In places like Ezekiel and Joel and Isaiah, uh, other places in the prophets, the Spirit comes to certain individuals and gives them a task to carry out certain uh, a certain task and certain uh, missions. I'm working on two hours of sleep, so this is going to be fun. Uh, But he gives them this specific message. The Spirit of the Lord comes on these prophets and says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. And it goes into the New Testament. Jesus starts talking about what the Spirit's going to do. In John 14, 16, uh, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept them, because it, never, it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is promising something. He's hearkening back. It's the same word. There it's the word pneuma. In, in, in the Old Testament, in Greek, in the Old Testament, it's, it's ruach. He says, this spirit is going to come. I'm, I promise you, it's going to live in you. It's going to reside in you. And and it does, and we look in, as we continue in the New Testament, uh, if you get, get, in, get into Acts, 50 days after Jesus had uh, risen and gone and ascended to heaven, there was this thing that happened. Uh, all of a sudden, the people are in the upper room, and, and Acts 2 tells the story, and the Spirit descends on the room, and all of a sudden, things are happening that they can't explain. They're speaking in languages they don't understand. Uh, uh, and people who understand the languages are wondering, how did you know my language? Because linguistics wasn't a th- big thing back then. But all of these people started to understand the spirit that was present in Genesis 1, that was working through Isaiah, the spirit that Jesus promised in John 14 and other places, was now here. And it descended onto every Christ follower that day. The same spirit from Isaiah lives in you. When you said yes to Jesus... The Spirit came, indwelled you, sealed you, marked you, anointed you. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, here he says, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What's he saying? In Ephesians, Paul is making this case. In the first chapter, he says, you were this way. You've been brought into this new family. And the mark of this family is that you've been sealed. You've been adopted. That can never be taken away. And this seal is the Holy Spirit in your life. You have been filled. filled. You've been anointed. You've been marked. It's a deposit, meaning he's not going to take it back. And this is what... Uh, this is the special mark. This is what every single one of us have. 
The same spirit that's on Isaiah. And then he continues in 2 Corinthians in a different passage. He says, now it is God who makes us, who both makes us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. The same word Isaiah used uh, in Isaiah 61 is that word. He anointed us. He set us, he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All this to say, you have the Spirit of God living in you. The moment you are saved, the moment you believe, the moment you said a prayer or said, or if you didn't say a prayer, maybe you just said this way of Jesus just makes more sense. At that point, the Spirit filled you and sealed you, and there's nothing you can do to shake it loose. It's in you. Congratulations. It, sometimes you, maybe you didn't notice. Maybe it's just one of those things that you say, I have the Holy Spirit. You absolutely have the Holy Spirit. God has anointed you, filled you, empowered you, and gifted you just like he did to Isaiah in order that you might do something. In Ephesians, he says that you've been filled, you've been adopted in, verse, in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says, now that you are part of this, you have been marked out to do good things. For by grace you have been saved is the gift of God. We are a workmanship in Christ Jesus, set out to do the things that he has told us to do. This is Brad's version, not the exact text. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You have the Spirit of God in you, so you can do good stuff. You've been marked out, you've been chosen, you've been filled, you've been empowered so that you can do it. You have the Spirit. Sometimes it's hard to know if the Spirit is working in you or not. Sometimes you say, I don't think I do, I don't think the Spirit is here. Uh, However, the measure that the Spirit works in you is the measure to which you allow it to work in you. You can quench it. You could say no. It'll, it'll, it's polite. The Spirit can lead you to do certain things, point you in directions, and the more you say yes to God's leading, the Spirit's leading, the more you be able to recognize its voice. The more time you spend with Christ, the more you'll be able to recognize the Spirit's moving in your life. It's like when, before we had caller ID, when your friend would call and say, hey, it's me, and you knew, oh, it's them, and you knew the voice, it took you time to recognize that voice, right? It took you time to go, oh, that's Ben. Oh, it's the same thing with the Spirit. The more time you spend, the more you understand its ebbs, flows, the way it works, the more you'll be able to sense where it's leading and what it's doing. That spirit that came to Isaiah, anointed him, marked him out. Isaiah knew what God's voice sounded like because he had been spending time with God. And so he said, the spirit of God is with me. It's anointed me. And it didn't just anoint me so I could sit here and do something. I have a message. I have something to say. So when you look next in the text, it says, I'm going to proclaim the spirit of God is upon me and I have something to do. You've been marked. The next is that you've been sent. Each one of us is called and given a purpose. Anointing is a sign of commission. They anointed kings. They anointed priests. They anointed buildings. Moses anoints the tabernacle and says, this is what this is going to be used for. David was anointed king by Samuel. The oil's on his head. He's been anointed for him to be a king. It was always 
pointing to something else. The Spirit of God has anointed you, every single one of you, so that you may step out and do something for God. You have a specific purpose. You've been empowered for a specific gift. You are filled and anointed so that God can work in you and through you. Here's what Isaiah says. Back to Isaiah in the last part of verse 1. He's been anointed in order that he might proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. Old Testament, New Testament, and now God is a God of action. He's a God that moves things forward. He's never content with the status quo. There's always a movement going with God. For Isaiah, he was to proclaim. Uh, the word used is basar, and what, he, what it means is to gladden someone or to preach to someone to inform them with some good news. I'm going to proclaim you some great news today. And here's what it was. He says something uh, uh, pretty interesting. He says, the day of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord, which to us goes, okay, I don't know what that means. In in elementary school, we used to sing a song called, this is the day, this is the day, that the, that, not that. It's different. Uh, Isaiah is, thank you for singing along with whoever did, uh, He's quoting something from the lovely book of Leviticus. Anytime we have a chance to go to Leviticus, we're gonna. So Craig, can you put up Leviticus? We avoid Leviticus. So he says, I'm proclaiming to you the day of the Lord is near. And here's what it says, Leviticus 25. Uh, Count off seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years. So that, however long that is. So that seven Sabbath years amount to the period of 49 years. We'll just say 49ers. Then, hey guys, it was a rough week last week. Just let me have this. Come on. Then, have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day, the 7th month, the day of atonement. The sound of the trumpet throughout. Next slide, please. Is that it? Okay. Leviticus 25 goes into some massive detail of what the day of the Lord is. We might have heard of it before. It's called the year of Jubilee. It was a fantastic, and, and in this is a picture of the gospel. Here's what they did the year of Jubilee. They had, you've heard of the Sabbath day, right? A day of rest. And then for everybody, no one works, stop working. Uh, and then they have the year of the Sabbath where every seven or so years they let their fields stop working. This was a year, the year of Jubilee, not just a day, not a month, but a year where they would say, every 50 years, they would say, if you have debt, gone. If, if you own land and you got land in some kind of deal, give it back. If you have slaves, they're free. Can you imagine if you had made a bad decision or you have bad luck and now you're buried under a mountain of debt and you're looking at the calendar and you're going, you're 49. Yes. Imagine the freedom that comes to you. How many of you would like to be excused from your mortgage or rent payments for a year? This is what we're talking about. Oh my gosh. Imagine the freedom that you have. 
This is good news, right? This is why Isaiah says, I have good news to all of you who have been held down, to all of you who can't make it anymore, all of you who are indentured servants, all of you who are slaves. I have good news. The year of the Lord is coming. Wait, what? This sounds like freedom. This sounds like something that they would be looking. This is the year of Jubilee. It's rest. This is the year of rest. Um, if we look at throughout history, this has never, ever been practiced. Uh, the nation of Israel never got around to it. It makes some, some sort of sense. Those who profit off of uh, holding people on their debts, the powerful, tend to like to retain their power. And so this was never practiced. So Isaiah comes along and says, hey guys, it's happening all of your debts, all of your slaves, everything. It's going back. We're resetting the clock. It's going to zero. This is good news. Uh, this happened, or kind of. Uh, th- there's a story of a woman uh, and a man who owned this piece of land. This was on local news, and I get Seattle Times, and I read about it there. In November, they have this this land where they have this apartment complex. And these people are Christians, and they're reading their Bible, and they notice every 50 years this is supposed to happen. And so this was the 50th year in that month that their family bought the land. And so they went knocking on the doors to all their tenants and said, no rent for this month. Are you kidding? They said they lost somewhere of uh, 15, 20 grand of that in that month because of the utility costs, rent costs, everything. Can you imagine getting a knock on your door from your landlord, which is never really a good thing, right? And they come to you and say, hey, don't worry about rent this month. And the only catch was this, that they they said, take 10% of what you would pay us in rent and give it to a charitable organization. That's easy. This is great news. Uh, what, can, what would you do with this kind of freedom? The, 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 not just the monetary, but the mental, the anxiety of not having to pay bills. This is good news. This is the good news that Isaiah has been armed with. The Spirit has marked him, sent him with good news. Isaiah is pointing for them to the end of exile, but he's also doing this large neon flashing sign that says, Jesus is going to do the same thing for everybody. This is a picture of what Messiah will do. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus did. Craig read the text. Jesus comes back from being tempted. He walks into the synagogue in Nazareth. It's his turn to read. And it just so happens, coincidence, I don't know, that they're reading Isaiah 61. He reads the passage. He says, I proclaim to you good news to the poor. It's the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped. And in the way that you drop microphones back in the day, he rolled up the scroll and sat down. What would you think that they would do? You think they would go, awesome, yes, this is great. No, if we keep reading in the text, uh, he says, it says in verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious. I don't understand. They just had the good news. The end of exile is right in their midst. And they're angry. They got up. They drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
Uh, there's a couple things in there. How did he get, excuse me, guys, got to go, stop, get him. Uh, how, how, did he, how did he get out of there? But the, the thing that gets me is that they were mad. The good news about the end of exile, the freedom that everyone wanted was right there, and they decided they were going to kill him, or they wanted to kill him. It shows me this. Good news is hard to accept. You ever had news so good that you don't believe it? You ever have good news and you, you, you just say, I'm not even going to go there. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. We have friends who, who had uh, cancer spotted on the scan and then they go in for the next day for surgery and the doctors can't find it. That's good news. Doctors won't believe it. It's great news. They don't believe it. We ever have good news that you don't believe it. Sometimes the good news is hard to accept. Sometimes we try and find good news in other places rather than the only true good news. I have friends, other friends, who think that the freedom that they're looking for is found in relationships, whether it's friends and whether it's romantic. And so they think this is the end of it. This is what's going to make me happy And this is the freedom that they have. They know everything about Jesus and the peace, but they don't want to accept it. It just doesn't make sense. And so they walk away from good news. I have other friends who try to find this freedom and good news in their job, and so they're so obsessed with the next title or the next pay raise or the next grade of whatever they're doing. That's all they focus on. And they think that it's going to give them what they want, but then they get that next position, and it doesn't. They're so tied to their bank account or they're so tied to their job that they can't really live and so freedom never really comes. And what you end up seeing, and maybe you've experienced it, I have, is you think that you're free from one master, one slave master, but then you're held captive to another. You've just just traded. You just got a new set of handcuffs. That's all you did. There's never really freedom. Maybe you've seen it with a family member who has a battled addiction, maybe you see it in the coworker. The freedom isn't received. It's always walked away from. But here's the thing. We want people to capture this good news so badly. But the bigger question for this morning and for you is, have you received this good news yourself? Spirit of God has come and filled you and sent you and give you this freedom. Have you fully accepted it? We are all called to be sent, but in order to be sent effectively, we have to accept that that message is also for us. You are free. Today, in your chair, you are free. You have no more shame, no more guilt, no more trying to make a name for yourself. You don't have to identify yourself as anything other than the way Jesus has to identify you, which is loved, holy, pure, part of his family, his child. That's who you are. So this addiction or this need to find security in a title or in a position, you don't need to do that anymore. You're set free from that. We want other people to accept it, but have you accepted it? You're free today. Do you believe it? Will you accept it? No more trying to find things in the wrong places. No more trying to find uh, acceptance in other people's opinions. No more trying to find whatever it is you're looking for. It can all be found in Christ. In Christ you are free. And because of that freedom, 
Because of Christ, you are filled, you are sent. And the last one is, you're transformed. Look in verse 3. Isaiah says this, uh, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. The oil is pointing back to the anointing. It's joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Skip down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of grace, you will receive your inheritance. And you will inherit a double portion in your land. And the everlasting joy will be yours. There's a word that's repeated five times in two verses. Did you all catch it? Instead. Instead, it's a transactional word, but it's repeated five times. Instead, 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 instead. And in case you didn't miss it, it's there again. Instead, it it's, seems a in, little insi- insignificant little adverb, but it explains the entire mission of Christ and everything that the good news of Isaiah is found in that word instead. You have ashes in your life. We all have places where things have burned down uh, and all we have is just soot there. Disappointment, ache, heartache, places where things went wrong and you have ashes. Jesus is saying, hey, instead of ashes, I want to give you a crown of joy. When you think of crown, what does a crown bring into mind? Gold, luxury. And so Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to put a a nice little bow on your ashes. Uh, He says, you give me your brokenness, you give me your ashes, and I'm going to show you the freedom of my crown. You aren't broken anymore. You have a crown on your head. Instead of mourning, he's not saying, cool, just be sad, and I'm going to anoint you with oil. No, no, you give him mourning your sadness, your brokenness, and he's going to anoint you with joy. Not happiness, happiness fades, joy, long-lasting joy. He's not putting the lipstick on the pig and just dressing up the places where we're hurting. Instead, Jesus is saying, you give me what you have, all you have, and I'll give you what I got. Everything that I have is yours. Instead is a word of exchange, but it speaks to transformation. It doesn't just add something to what's already there. It completely changes everything that you have. Uh, you've heard of the, we've heard of this extreme customer service thing that Nordstrom has, right? Uh, I remember back in the day, my friends used to say, we didn't shop at Nordstrom's, we went to other stores. But my friends used to take their shoes that they got at Nordstrom's that were scuffed, and they'd take them back to Nordstrom's, and Nordstrom's would just, no questions asked. Hand them a new pair of shoes. Uh, I don't know if it's still the same way, or if you can do that now, they probably wised up a little bit and put a little limitation on it. But the story was that you can wear a dress, take the tags off, go out in that dress to whatever party, come back and exchange back your dress for the full refund. This is what made Nordstrom's famous. There's a story about a, a man in Fairbanks, Alaska, who... Uh, in the 70s, he walked into the Nordstrom's and he returned a set of tires. Have any of you ever heard of this story? Where the, where the Nordstrom's was built used to be a tire store. And he bought tires for his car. And then he took, the, he took it back. And now it's a Nordstrom's. And then Nordstrom's, what did they do? You'd think that they go, 
We don't sell tires. Oh, Nordstrom's gave them money. They refunded it. Instead of tires, this man walked away with a full refund. It's an extreme return policy. And this is what that instead is getting at. It's the best lunchtime trade you can ever negotiate in the elementary schoolyard. It's broccoli for pudding. It's awesome. This is what Jesus is saying. Instead of this, I'll give you this. And here's the point. It's a picture of what Jesus does for every single one of us. It's the extreme policy that Christ has. Instead of ashes, we get beauty. Instead of mourning, we have joy. Instead of despair, we have praise. Instead of shame and disgrace, we have provision and a birthright. Christ has never sold those things, but he freely gives them to you. And he wants you to have them. God takes them from us and freely gives everything that we could ever ask or imagine. Instead is a gospel word. Christ making of his people what they cannot make of themselves. This is good news. This is something to shout and proclaim. And so when Jesus comes to the synagogue and he reads these words, people don't know what to do with it. And the reason he did that and the reason he still does it today is because he, doesn't, he hasn't changed his return policy. Christ is in the habit of making all things new. Jesus still has the willingness to exchange your life for his. And you can hardly keep that news to yourself. That's something that you want to share. So today... You might not have been alive for 50 years, but maybe you feel like it. Some of you have been around a lot more than 50 years. What have you accumulated in your life? What are you buried under? That you would just say, I would rather exchange this for something else. I don't want this anymore, but I've been holding on to it. Shame, years of brokenness, years of broken hopes, failure, what is it that you so desperately want to exchange? Might you see in Christ an opportunity to do just that? A willing recipient to give you the greatest gift and you can walk away totally transformed in your life. Many of you walked in with a bulletin. Uh, as Tim comes forward, I want to pause. And I want you to ask uh, these questions. Christ, write these words down. Christ, I exchange my, what is it? What is it you would like to exchange? Jesus, I exchange my fear, my anxiety, my addiction, my hopelessness, my broken heart, my sickness, my worry, my failure. Jesus, I exchange this. For your hope, peace, love, acceptance. What do you bring to the exchange today? What would you like to see God do in your life? As Tim plays this song and we close in worship, just pray about that. Think about that. We have a, a cross over there. It's a little prayer center. If you want to go pray, feel free. Uh, if, if you want to talk to somebody about some of these things, we're available. 
But don't leave here today without exchanging something. Because we all have ashes that need to be made beautiful. They need to be made into a crown. And he's willing to do that. So pray with me. Father, we thank you that you haven't updated your exchange rates. That you, you take our stuff and you give us back something that we never expected. You take what amounts to death in our lives and you bring back life. You bring us peace. And so God, today we exchange our brokenness for the wholeness that you provide. We thank you for that. I give you my worry in exchange for your peace. We appropriate everything that you give to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.